Good morning to everybody. Again, it is so good to see all that are able to be here for our Lord's Day morning worship service, and we're very thankful for everybody's presence. Today marks, if I've counted correctly, I think the 10th week since we started our study in the eldership qualifications that are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. I hope that the study that we've engaged in over these past 10 weeks has helped you. I hope that they've encouraged each and every one of us, as we've emphasized this over and over again, to realize that these qualities we're looking at that pertain to elders are actually qualities that pertain to Christians. And when we look for elders or we look for men to be elders, what we are looking for is simply experienced and mature godly men. And thus, hopefully, we've all, even though we've been focusing on eldership qualifications, I hope we've all find ways to grow in our own faith. But I also hope that, this, hope that this study has helped us with an understanding of what these qualifications mean. I know that over time there have been some of these qualifications I've had a lot of questions about. I'm not saying that I think I understand all of them perfectly or that there's no more room for growth, but I do believe I have or I feel like I have a better handle on these qualifications after more study after listening to the studies that have been presented by others, and I hope that you can say the same. But the idea is that in the list that we read and have studied in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and there in Titus chapter 1, we get a picture that is provided by the Holy Spirit of a man who is fit to lead the church. And as we've gone through our studies, we've seen that such a, such a man, a man who is fit to lead the church, is a moral man. He's proven faithfulness and commitment and leadership ability in his home, as we saw in the fact that he is the husband of one wife, and he must manage his own household well. We see that an elder's ability stems from his own self-control and discipline, as we were taught about being sober-minded and self-controlled and disciplined. We understand he is a man who has developed such self-control, and that is evident to others, thus he is respected by those even outside the church. He's not a worldly man that is driven by pleasure, as seen in the fact he is not a drunkard. He's not driven by materialism, as he's not a lover of money, and he's not greedy for gain. We see that he's a mature and experienced Christian. He's not a recent convert. Not that it's wrong to be a recent convert, but he, an elder, is a man who's not a babe in Christ, but has had time to mature, and more importantly, has matured in the faith. He is a man who loves goodness and godliness as he is a lover of good. And that love is seen in his holy life and his care for others as he is upright and holy and a hospitable man. In his Christian maturity, he's able to humbly lead through his example and his words as we've seen in that he is not arrogant, yet he is able to teach. The man who has lived this type of life will be a man who enjoys a good reputation he should be a man who is well thought of even by those who are not members of the church, but especially he should be a man that is respected by the church members, especially those who share a home congregation with him. And now in our final study of the qualities that should be possessed by a man who would be appointed as an elder, we are going to observe a few more attributes that really, as we look at these, should come as no surprise, and yet they are some extremely important qualities for leadership and they are characteristics that are very important for all of us. These qualities that we're going to discuss today will affect how a man interacts with, how he helps, how he leads the people that he is a leader of. And of course, these qualities are that he should not be quarrelsome, he should not be quick-tempered, he should not be violent, but instead, 
he should be gentle. Now in the lists that we have, uh, three of these are found in Timothy's list. Two of them are found in Titus. Not violent is found in both lists. Not a quick temper is unique to Titus. And not or quarrelsome is unique to Timothy. And Timothy also, the list there, also adds the idea, the positive attribute, that he is to be a man who is gentle. Now a man who can be described as not quarrelsome, not violent, not quick-tempered, but instead gentle, is certainly a man that is fit, along with the other qualities that we've seen, to lead the Lord's church. But a man who does not possess these qualities can be a disastrous and a very dangerous leader in the Lord's church. But then again, a Christian who cannot say that they are not quarrelsome and not violent and not quick-tempered and not gentle, then those, that Christian can be a dangerous and disastrous Christian. So as we've seen before, the attributes we have to study today, we're going to consider as qualities for an elder as we evaluate a man's potential to lead the church in such a role. But I hope we all recognize that these are things that are expected of all of us, and I hope to show that in our study. But as pertaining to elders, these are important traits that a man must have recognizably mastered in his years of Christian service. And when we see a man who has mastered these to the best of his ability, then I think we will see a man who is well equipped for much of the role of shepherding God's people. So let's begin. We're going to begin with that quality of not quarrelsome that is found in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. This is translated a few different ways. I like especially with lists like we have in these uh, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 and these qualifications in particular to compare some of the various ways that a word is translated. And as you can see here, not quarrelsome seems to be the most popular translation across several translations, but a few others include not contentious, not argumentative, or not a brawler. That's the King James Version. And two translations that I looked at actually translate this slightly differently. Instead of taking the negative as in not something, they actually have a positive meaning to it, and that is that such a man is peaceable. And that is actually a very accurate translation. It certainly gets to the idea of what this quality describes. A couple of definitions of the Greek word that are there that may help us understand what it means to not be quarrelsome. One says, it is pertaining to a lack of conflict and contention. A person who doesn't want conflict. A person who wants to do what they can to avoid contention. One dictionary says, not disposed to fight. We can all probably think of people who are the exact opposite of that. People who are disposed to fight. People who are always looking for an argument. Uh, one lexicon said, this is a man who is unhostile or inclined or disposed to peace. And we're going to come back to that definition here in just a little while. Like I said, some people just seem to be disposed to argue. It seems that they would love nothing better than a good argument. They're ready to quarrel at the slightest provocation. They will argue almost anything and everything. If you say the sky is blue, they'll find a way to argue that. And they just are always looking for an argument or a quarrel. A quarrelsome person will always be able to find something to criticize. It doesn't matter how good of a job you might do, they will find a way to critique it and to criticize. Now, they certainly won't accept criticism as a quarrelsome person. 
They'll just see such an opportunity. If you see a reason to criticize a quarrelsome person, they're just going to take that as another opportunity to argue. Now, no one, we're talking about elders, but no one who is a disciple of Jesus should be a quarrelsome, contentious person. It's not okay for you to say, well, I'm not an elder, so I don't have to work on being peaceable. No, if you're a Christian... You should not be a quarrelsome, contentious person. In Titus 3, verses 1 through 2, Paul says to Titus in that passage, and this is not the list of eldership qualifications, he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. We're going to come back to this verse again when we talk about gentle, as you can see. And we'll see there that in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul's speaking about everyone. He's telling Titus to speak these things to everyone. And Titus was to instruct all Christians, not just men who were going to be elders, but all Christians are to avoid quarreling. Now in normal circumstances, a quarrelsome person is at best a nuisance. We've all been around people that like to argue and always have something to criticize. And let's just be honest, they're annoying. And if you're one of those people, you need to know that that's the way people think of you. If you're always arguing with people, people get tired of that. It's a nuisance, and that's the best case scenario. But when the Lord's church is supposed to be characterized by peace and unity, then when there are contentious people, it is much more than just a nuisance. Especially when such a person is a leader, disaster looms. Again, the church is supposed to be a place of peace and a place of unity. But when a congregation is roiled constantly in contention or frequently in contention, then it is going to stunt the growth of that congregation. Christians are going to be discouraged when there's constantly quarreling and fighting, especially over non-important things. But when there's quarreling and contention, that is going to stunt the growth of the members. And it's certainly going to discourage the efforts of converting new souls. No one wants to bring their neighbor or their friend or their co-worker to a congregation when they're worried about what fight might break out between some of the members, or they're worried about what quarrel might start by one of the leaders, and so it hinders growth. And no member of the community, no non-believer, comes into a church and is influenced to want to become a part of that body when what they see in that body is contention and strife and arguing and quarreling. But for a congregation to be at peace... The members have to be peaceful. If you want this congregation to be a peaceful congregation, I'm thankful to the best of my knowledge and my experience, we have been largely a peaceful congregation. I'm thankful for that. And the reason for that is because the members are peaceful people. But for the members to be peaceful, they need to have peaceful role models and leaders. Now as we look for such a man, as we look for a man who is not quarrelsome, then I'd like to again consider that idea of inclined to peace. While we seek peace, there are times that problems are going to occur. And when problems occur, what we need to ask is we're considering a man and is he able to be an elder? And does he meet this qualification of not quarrelsome? We should ask ourselves when there have been times of uh, problem, maybe some sin has occurred, there's some difficulty or problem or challenge in the congregation, has this man been able to handle and help those problems without escalating the tension? 
There are some people that whenever there's a problem to be handled, you're terrified of how they're going to respond. Now, sometimes they may handle it correctly, and sometimes you're worried that they're going to get all bent out of shape or they're just going to add fuel to the fire. How has a man handled problems? How has a man handled criticism and rebuke? Whether that be giving criticism, is a man the type that every time he gives rebuke or criticism, he does so in such a way that it causes problems? How has he received criticism? Have there been times when he's needed to be corrected? And how has he responded? Has he done so in a gentle and a forbearing manner? Or is that always the opening to an argument? Again, some people are very good at diffusing tense situations. Some people are just a talent, it seems like. But it's something we all should work at. And that's a great trait for a leader. An elder needs to be a person that can put out a fire, not a person who's going to add fuel to the fire. And to be such a person, one needs to be more than just a lover of peace. Everybody loves peace. Everybody wants peace, or at least everybody says that they want peace. Now some people, that's a farce, and they love to argue. Many more people actually like peace, and they want peace. But they aren't willing to do what it takes to make peace. But Jesus called His disciples not to be lovers of peace, but to be peacemakers. In Matthew 5 verse 9, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus, who is of course the Good Shepherd, is known and called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. And as such, He calls upon all of His people, all of His sheep, to be peacemakers. People who not only desire peace, but people who will actively seek to make and bring about and maintain peace. And if you are a Christian, you have a responsibility to be a peacemaker. You have a responsibility to do what it takes to be at peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If that means apologizing, then you need to apologize. If that means confronting a problem so that there can be peace, that means confront the problem. If that means forgiving someone, then we forgive. All of us as Christians are to be characterized as peacemakers, not as contentious, argumentative, and quarrelsome people. But if the Good Shepherd requires His sheep to be peacemakers, how much more important is it that His under-shepherds are peacemakers? Now that connection between being peaceable and not quarrelsome is important. Because I think a man can meet the technical definition of what we think of as not contentious or not quarrelsome, But that doesn't necessarily mean that he is peaceable or a peacemaker. In fact, it's very possible, and some people are like this. They abhor conflict, and they abhor conflict and contention so fervently that they will avoid it personally at any and every cost. In fact, a man may actually allow chaos to reign so long as he doesn't have to be confronted with the conflict. I'm going to admit right now, this is something that's a danger for me. I hate conflict. I don't like to rebuke people. And sometimes that can become a hindrance. Because sometimes when I see something that needs to be addressed, and I see someone that needs to be corrected, I worry and I fret about how they'll respond, and I don't want to argue with them. And that might sound good, and that might sound great. But the question is, is that really making peace? Is allowing a person to live in their sin and lose their soul so that we don't get into an argument peaceful. Well, it may avoid an argument or a quarrel or a spat here, but does it lead to peace for their eternal soul? 
Does a man who will not step in and help a situation where there are other members of the congregation at conflict because he doesn't want to get involved and he doesn't want to face that conflict, is that peaceful? Now, he may not get involved in the quarrel, but he's allowing the congregation to be ripped apart by division or by quarreling. You see, we have to not just not like quarreling, we have to desire peace. Now, an elder should not be an argumentative, a quarrelsome man, but neither should he be a coward. He must be a man who can gently, respectfully, and straightforwardly defend the truth, rebuke error, and generally speaking, lead others towards a resolution of peace. Now, to go along with this, and for a man to not be quarrelsome and these other qualities, he must not be quick-tempered, as Paul says in Titus 1 verse 7. This again is a pretty, you know, all these are pretty similar, but uh, many tra- most translations have not quick-tempered. One says not hot-tempered or not easily angered or not prone to anger. Those all seem to have right, quite the same thing. The King James and uh, American Standard Version, which is an older version like the King James, Uh, have not soon angry. Here's one for you. Young's literal translation says, not irascible. That's a word of the day if you'd like it right there. That word simply means having or showing a tendency to be easily angered. So now if you see someone or know someone who's easily angered, you can call them irascible. And maybe they won't know what you mean and get angry at you for it. And we're going to come back to that word though. Uh, It's used a few times. But the definition of this word that's used here means a tendency to become angry or given to anger or prone to anger. Uh, Aristotle said and used this word that Paul does, quick-tempered persons lose uh, no time being angry and do so with those they ought not, over things they ought not, and far more than they ought. Do you know anybody who's always angry? Do you know somebody who's able to get angry at the drop of a hat? Do you know somebody who stays angry? Somebody who gets angry at people even when it's not deserved. That's a quick-tempered person. And that is exactly the type of person that should not be a Christian. A Christian should not be those things. And that type of person should not be an elder. Now Titus 1 verse 7 is the only occurrence of this particular Greek word in the New Testament. But it is found in the Old Testament in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the the Old Testament. It's found several times. We'll read just a few from Proverbs. Proverbs 22 and 24 says, Make no friendship with the man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Proverbs 29 and 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. And the Christian Standard Bible in Proverbs 21 and 19 says, Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. That's pretty strong language. One of the wisest men who ever lived said, It would be better to live like an animal out in the wilderness without shelter, without a roof, without the comforts of home. That would be better than to live in a house with a hot-tempered, quick-to-anger wife. And the reverse of that would also be true, certainly. So the warning here throughout the book of Proverbs is avoid quick-tempered people. If you see someone that's given to anger, that's quick to be angry, it is wise to avoid that person. Now if it's wise to avoid such people in general day-to-day life, how foolish would it be for a church to appoint a man to an elder, as an elder, when they know he is a man who does not control his temper? when they know he has proven to be a man who is quick to be angry. 
couple of New Testament passages that touch on anger. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That doesn't address being quick to be angry, but it's a teaching to all Christians that we don't stay angry. In James 1.19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let ever, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Not the exact same Greek word, but it's the exact opposite idea. Everyone, instead of being quick-tempered, is to be slow to anger. Now, there are times when anger is appropriate. But the Bible is clear. When the Christian deals with anger, first of all, they should not get angry quickly. We should not be the type of people that get angry at the drop of a hat. Things It should take quite a bit to make us angry. Not only that, but we should not be people that remain angry. When something angers us, even for the right reasons, we seek resolution. We don't stew on it and let it lead to wrath and bitterness. And also, we can never let anger lead to sinful actions. And this, of course, is true for all Christians and especially for church leaders. The truth is elders are going to deal with difficult situations. They're going to have to confront false doctrine. They're going to have to rebuke sin. They're going to have to correct problematic behavior. They're going to have to deal with people who are not living the lives sometimes that they ought to live. Now, I don't mean to make it bleak. I think by and large, elders in the Lord's church are going to have positive experiences. But they are going to be the ones who primarily have to also work with the problems and deal with the difficulties that are there in a congregation because a congregation is made up of human beings. As shepherds, it falls to them to try and bring back wayward and wandering sheep. And the truth is, these situations can be frustrating. When a person is not living the way that they ought to live, when a person is rebelling, when a person is teaching false doctrine, these things can be vexing to a church leader and they can easily lead a man to anger if he is not careful. And in most situations, anger is not going to help the elder in his work. But even in cases where anger may be appropriate, an elder must have uncompromising control so that his anger does not break out and cause harm instead of healing. Simply put, an elder must be a man who controls his anger, not a man who is controlled by his anger. And of course, the same is true for all Christians. An elder is simply a man who has proven such control. Much could be said about Jesus and the fact that He was slow to anger, and God who was slow to anger. Now there are many stories in the Old Testament that teach us of God's wrath. There's a lot of warnings of God's wrath. But when you really think about man's history, what stands out is not God's anger, but God's long-suffering and kindness. God gave man generations, if not hundreds of years many times, hundreds of years of opportunity to repent before He judged them. God didn't punish the Israelites the first time they complained. It took multiple and multiple times he was long-suffering and forbearing before finally he had to punish them to wander in the wilderness. He sent prophet after prophet over years and years to Israel and to Judah to warn them and plead with them to come back. God is not an angry God that is looking to vent his anger at the first opportunity. Now There are times that God has moved to anger, but he has never d- does so quickly. And he never loses control. In fact, Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you search the Old Testament, you'll find that description of slow to anger is used towards God many, many times. And as Christ's disciples and as children of God, 
We strive to follow their example in anger. We are slow to anger. We are angry for righteous reasons. And we are always in control of our anger. Again, we should be. And again, what is true for every Christian is especially true for the elder. But also, and this is kind of an interesting one, the elder is said in both lists that he must not be violent. These are the various ways it's translated. Not violent or not a violent person. Those are similar. Not a bully. That gets the idea of what this means. It's kind of a, uh, you might call that a paraphrase, but it certainly gets to the idea of what this word means. Here's another word for you, not pugnacious. That word means having a quarrelsome or combative nature. So it's not just acting violently, but it's having a nature of violence. Or you may be familiar with the King James Version that says, not a striker. Now some of those seem a little bit different, but let's see if we can talk about this and what this means. That word that is translated as not violent or not pugnacious or not a bully, a couple of ways it's defined is a person who is pugnacious, there's that word again, and demanding, or a bully or a violent person. That's how one lexicon describes it. Well, one def- definition is a striker, one who is apt to strike. Now the reason that that is the definition, the reason like the King James Version says not a striker, there is the root word to this Greek word is a word which simply means to strike. And so that's why sometimes it's called not a striker. Now, surprisingly, the New Testament has very little to say directly about violence. I was surprised by this. I don't know why, but when I was studying this word, I thought that I would search for some verses on violence and just find all sorts of things. And it surprised me to realize that the New Testament has a very little to say about violence directly. Now, Bill Mounts, who's one of the uh, dictionaries that I use, says this about that fact. He says, perhaps it is not surprising that the New Testament contains little violence since Jesus came to present a message of peace, humility, and hope. You know, the collective teaching and the general tenor of the New Testament overwhelmingly condemns physical violence. A person of violence, meaning a person who physically harms others, is certainly not a faithful Christian. That is the furthest thing from a faithful Christian. A person who's willing to enact physical harm on others. So it goes without saying that a violent person should never be a church leader. A Christian should never be violent. And so it's strange to me that for something that's kind of a given throughout all of the New Testament, is one of the qualities that's listed twice. It's one of the qualities that's listed to both Timothy and to Titus. Now that tells me that this attribute probably goes to something a little deeper than just saying, well, he's not a man who's likely to get into a fist fight. He's not a man who's known to be violent. If we have a man in our congregation who's known to be violent, I would hope that we never think of that man as potentially being an elder as long as that's a problem. So what does this teach us about a man? Well, remember that word pugnacious, which means having a quarrelsome or a combative nature. Other definitions like we saw included the idea of a bully. And we've already seen Paul disqualify a quarrelsome man, someone who is disposed to arguing quarreling simply for the sake of quarreling. But I think with this qualification, Paul disqualifies a man who would be apt to using intimidation and force of any kind to get his way. The elder is a shepherd, not a taskmaster. He leads gently, as we're going to see, and he cares for the sheep. A bully, on the other hand, is someone who forcefully gets his way, and usually for his own benefit. 
Now again, there's that idea of not a striker or not apt to strike. You know, the striking doesn't have to be physical. We can strike out with our words. We can strike out with our actions. I have known men, even men in the church, who would never think to raise their fists against another person, especially a brother or sister in Christ, in some physical way to strike them. But they were more than ready to strike out with words that would cut and wound in other ways. People can strike a blow in simply the way they treat others, the way they ignore others, the way they act around others. Essentially, a striker is not just a person who's willing to hit you with their fist. A striker is a person who will use some method with the intent of inflicting harm. As Christians, our goal is never to harm. Even when we must rebuke and chastise, the purpose of that is never just to cause pain. If you're ready to rebuke someone because you're angry and you want to give them a piece of your mind, if you deep down really just want to make them feel sorry for what they've done, then you need to step back and probably keep your mouth shut and think about it. Because the purpose of rebuking and chastising, even though it may be painful, that's not the reason we desire to do it. The reason we rebuke is to help the person see their error and because we love them and we want through that temporary pain. No, It's painful because nobody likes to be wrong. We don't like to be wrong. But we hope through that quick pain to restore them to peace with Christ. If we simply want to hurt them because they've hurt us, that's a problem. That's a striker. That's a pugnacious person who is willing to strike out at someone to inflict pain. Again, no Christian should be that way. But especially an elder cannot be that type of person. An elder can never seek to harm, especially intentionally. We can't have a man who's a vindictive man, who's ready to settle the score. We need a man who's peaceful and gentle. Again, we can look at Jesus who provides the perfect example. If there was ever anyone who had the right to strike out, to cause harm because harm had been done to him, it was Jesus. Now yes, Jesus rebuked sin and error, sometimes even in very strong ways. But even His strongest condemnations were meant to shake people out of their hard-heartedness or warn them never simply to hurt feelings or to cause pain. And in this sense, Jesus truly was the Lamb of God. While He is the Lion of Judah, He is also a Lamb. When you think of a Lamb... I don't know if there's very many animals that are less threatening than a lamb. If you were to walk up to a lamb, you wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't even be afraid of it kicking you or biting you. It's gentle. It's the furthest thing from a striker. And repeatedly, in prophecy and in the New Testament, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is and was incapable of causing pain or striking and hurting simply to strike and hurt. Now, can He punish? Absolutely. Again, He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Creator of all the universe. But it is completely against the nature of God and against the nature of Christ to hurt or to strike simply for the sake of hurting and striking. That is not the love of God. Isaiah describes the Messiah thus, 
in Isaiah 42. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Think about that. A burning wick he will not quench. There are some people whose faith is not much more than a burning wick. And yes, it needs to be fanned into flame. Yes, it needs to be rekindled. But we have to be so very careful the way we're going to do that. I'm not saying we don't rebuke. I'm not saying we don't encourage or exhort. But we must be thoughtful. I have seen it happen. I have seen people whose wicks were barely burning. And a sharp word, not even intentionally, just a sharp word that wasn't thought about before it was spoken, did the damage and put the wick out. Now, that doesn't excuse that person for deciding to leave the church. But sometimes it's the behavior of others that helps push them out of the church. None of us should be that way. And we absolutely cannot have elders who will behave that way. Isaiah 53 and 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Again, of all people, Jesus had the right as the Holy One of God to strike others. And yet he never did. Even when falsely accused, maliciously maligned, and unjustly mocked, spat upon, and beaten. Even as he was hanging on the cross with his own blood pouring out, he never struck out, not even in word, to hurt others. He truly epitomized his instruction of turn the other cheek. And that is such an important key for Christians and elders not only do we not harm others maliciously, we don't even harm others in retaliation. Even when you are unjustly injured, even when you are spoken ill of unfairly, we do not respond in kind. Instead, we pray for our enemies. We love our enemies. And again, what is true for the Christian is paramount for elders. As we've ta talked about in other, past, in other studies, church elders may very well face false accusations. And they may very well face unfair treatment from the very people they're trying to help sometimes. And they must be the type of men that can weather that treatment soberly and peacefully. They can never resort to striking back out. They cannot seek to get even. Instead, like Paul says in Philippians 3, they must be willing to suffer the loss of all things in order to gain Christ both for themselves and for those that they lead. But lastly, we have the word gentle. This word is almost unanimously translated as gentle. It's translated as patient in a couple of translations. But the definitions mean not insisting on every right of letter or of law or custom, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. That's a wonderful definition of that word. We could spend time just talking about that definition and all the things it means. It means gracious and forbearing. Basically, if you want to boil it down, it is the exact opposite of all the other things that we've talked about. If the, the not quarrelsome and not quick-tempered and not violent, those are the negative ways 
that can be summed up in one word. An elder is gentle. He is an overseer, and that means he has to see over, he has to guide and direct the people he oversees. But instead of being a taskmaster, the elder is a gentle shepherd. The elder has to stand firmly and directly against false doctrine and rebuke false teaching. And even though he does so directly and even firmly, he can do so gently. The overseer must handle issues and problems. And sometimes he's going to have to rebuke Christians and their sin and their error. But as he works with people, even people that are troublesome people, even people that are problematic people and people that have gotten themselves in some big problems, he is a man who will be reasonable, he is a man who will be patient, and he is a man who will be forbearing. If an elder is the type of man that seeks to bring down the hammer, so to speak, or throw the book at the person every time they make the slightest misstep, he is going to discourage and harm the flock over time. Instead of being quick-tempered towards those who make mistakes, he is a man who is patient and gracious. When he makes decisions, as we've seen when James talked about the idea of being just, and when he offers rebuke and provides counsel, he does so in a way that is fair and in a way that is reasonable. All of that that I've said is what it means to be gentle. Ultimately, what it means is that it is not enough for an elder to do the right thing. An elder must do the right thing in the right way, in the right spirit, and from the right attitude. There are times a man may do the right things. He may make the right decisions. He may hold the right lines. But he may also do so in a way that actually hurts others and ultimately hinders the cause of Christ and the growth of the body. And a man who tends to do that is a man who cannot be the elder and elder over the Lord's people. See, he must, be a, he must be a man of wisdom. How can you tell if a man's wise? We see all sorts of intelligent people. The world places a large price tag on intelligence. What about wisdom? Well, actually, gentleness is one of the things that points to wisdom. James 3.17 is, again, one of these passages that's directed at all of us. But this is what, what a wonderful description of an, of an elder this would be. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Again, this is directed at all Christians. All of us should seek the wisdom that is from above, heavenly wisdom. But again, what an excellent description of an elder. In fact, nearly every attribute, we could spend time going over every one of these attributes and tying them. His purity, his morality, his moral integrity... Peaceable, something we've already discussed about. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial, sincere, gentle. All of these things are related to other attributes we've studied in the eldership. Now surely we understand why this is an important quality for leadership. And we probably all want leaders that are gentle. We want leaders that will treat us gently and be gentle towards us. But again, this is not for elders only. Going back to that passage we read, or going back to Titus 2, verse 15 through 3, verse 2, we've read it earlier. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. All Christians are to avoid quarreling and should instead be gentle and courteous towards others. Think about that. Courteous. 
The way we treat and speak to others is important. Being courteous is not a matter of having good manners. It is a matter of godliness. The way you speak to the waitress, the way you speak to the clerk, the way you speak to and treat your managers or your subordinates and your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, that says something about who you are as a follower of Christ, whether it's true discipleship that you have or something that is in word only. And this is a way that we can help identify an elder. As we think about a man, we think and should think about how he treats other people. How does he talk to other Christians? How does he act around other Christians? How does he act around people who are non-believers and speak to them? If we see a man who's rude, who's short, who's mean, that man is not elder material. In fact, he needs to get it corrected as a Christian, but he should certainly not be appointed as an elder. Well, every attribute that we've looked at in this study should be pursued by each and every one of us. But elders, as with all the other qualities that we've studied, are to be men who have proven that they are these types of men. They've proven through time and experience to be these men. As overseers and shepherds, it is their task to lead and guide and counsel and protect and correct. But an elder must do these things the right way. He cannot resort to forcefulness, tyranny, or violence in any form to lead the congregation. Instead, he must be gentle. He must avoid quarrels and pointless disputes and instead be a man who loves and will thus labor for peace. He should be known as a man who loves the people of his congregation and as a man who has their best interest at heart. And that will be evident in the way that he interacts and deals with them. A loving, caring, Christ-like elder will be patient and peaceful and forbearing and gentle. And that is the type of man or woman that every one of us should strive to be. And when we see a person who has truly mastered that, a man who has mastered that, then we certainly see the type of man that would make a good candidate to lead the Lord's church as an elder. Well, that wraps up our study, wraps up our study of the eldership qualifications, and it wraps up our sermon this morning. And I hope it gives us many things to think about and ponder over in our own lives, and especially as it pertains to appointing men to become elders one day, Lord willing. As we draw the sermon to a close, we want to extend the invitation. It is possible there's someone here who is not a Christian. We've talked a bit about Jesus this morning and His wonderful nature, what He has done in order to save you. The fact that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and loves peace and wants peace between you and the Heavenly Father so much that He came to earth to live a perfect life and die on the cross for your sins. He shed His blood so that you wouldn't have to face the wrath of God, but that you could enjoy eternal peace with Him. But in order to enjoy that eternal peace, you need to obey the gospel. You need to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. You need to repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, if you have not done that, God so far has been long-suffering and patient and continues to be. But God's long-suffering is not eternal. And there will come a day, maybe soon, maybe many years from now, when it will be over. And you will have to face Christ as your judge. Be prepared for that day. And if you're not prepared, then get prepared today. If that means obeying the gospel, we hope you'll make that decision. If that means making something right in your life, then please do that. And if we can pray with you and for you, we'd be happy to do that if there's some Christian that would request the prayers of the church. But if there be one in need, we'd invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.